Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley? Was that your Wayman Wang impression? No, that was more my James Hong impression. <laughs> it was it Alpha Gong Gong or just Gong Gong? Uh, it's regular Gong Gong. Regular Gong Gong. Uh, as you can probably guess from that introduction, we are talking a movie from 2022, available on video on demand, everything, everywhere, all at once. Iris saw it on demand and continually confuses this title with which one? Unbearable weight of massive talent. That's the one, but it's getting clearer. <laughs> Kind of. Just like this movie, if you persist and pay close attention, it gets clearer slowly. Is that true? I, I'm not... I don't know. <laughs> because I, I'm not there yet. It was pretty overwhelming. It was a lot. So much so that it subdues the audience. Like, it's over. And during the mock uh, credit sequence in the middle, you can sense the confusion. <laughs> and, like, people didn't know whether or not to get up or what, or whatever. And then at the end, it, it ends and there's, like, a stunned silence. Well, all at once, chapter three, pretty abrupt. Right? Because this movie is divided into three parts. Everything. Right. Everywhere. And all at once. All at once ends a little abruptly, so I can imagine the stunned silence. Because I don't even know what to say about this, and I and I talk about movies for a living. Well, we don't really make a great living off of it, but we do talk about movies kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. I suggest we not belabor the plot or go into the plot details. This is a washer, probably. In our universe, I'm guessing it's a washer, but in pretty much all the other multiverses, it's a watcher. It's both. You have to pay close attention to this movie, I think. And at the same time, you can't really follow. It just It's an onslaught, nonstop. It feels like you're getting everything everywhere all at once. Maybe this. Maybe you have to watch it once for a washer and watch it twice for a washer. Did I get that right? No, you said the same thing twice. <laughs> it's both. Did you pay close attention or did, were you just like, give it to me? I... As soon as I kind of figured out what it was, like that it was going to be a sci-fi parallel university action thing, I was like, okay, I need to get my footing in this so that I can actually enjoy it and understand it. But eventually I just gave up because it was too much. I think, I think my turning point was the everything bagel. I was just like, I have no idea what's going on. So she got bored and put everything on an everything bagel because Jobu Topak, Joby, Job, Jot. Because Jobu Tupaki was experiencing everything all everywhere all at once. You're just making up sounds. <laughs> Which is literally the, how that name came about. It doesn't mean anything. There's like a Tagalog uh, translation where it just happens to coincide with actual words. And it means like seamless gun or something. Seamless gun? Something like that. Something about a gun. <laughs> okay. Arbitrary firearm or something. Yeah, it does. It, feel, it feels like a randomly generated Star Wars name. So, you're, <laughs> well, it is pretty random. But do you remember Interstellar and how complex that was? Yeah, that Claire Forlani movie. 
Yeah, no. They had to represent space-time and the overlapping of these timelines in this weird abstract at the end of the movie. Do you remember this at all? Where he can peer through the bookcase at his daughter and etc. And by floating throughout this, uh, this Tesseract thing, he can experience all of time at once. Oh, this is the McConaughey movie. Yeah. And so it was confusing, I think, a little bit at the time, ironically, because it was meant to be clarifying. How do you represent him being able to float through time and be able to glimpse all these times at once? I could, I guess you could have done it in a montage, but it, it was a creative choice. And I think the bagel was the same thing. How can you possibly represent everything? It's the little joke of an everything bagel, also representing vaguely a black hole and also the circle representing eternity or whatever junk. I got it. I mean, I she had the bagel headdress, right? Which, you know, yep. coincided with the bagel black hole eternity thing, which I guess was annihilation. I guess. Maybe. Maybe it was just nothing. Nothingness? I mean, same difference. Nothing matters. So is nothing matters a good message or a bad message? No, I think it's a young girl, malaisical, teenagery type message. Okay, but then why at the end does Evelyn embrace the nothing matters message? Because I think it's more along the lines of nothing is within your control necessarily. Nothing you can't uh, anticipate or ascribe significant. I don't know. <laughs> you tried. See, that's the thing. Yeah. You can approach this movie and you can try. But ultimately, I think without repeat viewing and critical analysis and charts and graphs a la Christopher Nolan, you just kind of feel it. You feel it. You like approximate knowledge. And that's kind of enough. And so you know what happens when I get into that situation where I try to embrace every aspect of a movie and then you find it's impossible? You check out? I don't check out. I take a step back and I examine it from a movie-making perspective. And I'm like, okay, they're going for very heady themes. Do they have the chops to execute this? And I think Christopher Nolan did in Interstellar. He's a great visual filmmaker. And I think these guys, Daniels, have to be great visual filmmakers because they have no money. They're championed at best by the Russos, who were big in Marvel and stuff, and they were producers on the film. But their biggest credit, the Daniels, to date, was Swiss Army Man, which looked so terrible, I didn't even bother to see it. Um, kind of a big movie for no money. Right. And it feels huge for no money. It's still in theaters. It returned to IMAX at one point. You know, it's weird because... Maybe this movie is in the race, is in the Oscar race uh, in some capacity. I'm not sure if it would be editing or direction or screenplay or what it would be. I think it's there. I just don't think it, it's, it's kind of difficult for a movie released in like March to have a real footing in the race. You know, it has to stand out. This movie is clearly inventive, innovative and imaginative. It's got some great action set pieces. There's a nice message I was touched when she said, be kind. I think you never know what's going on with somebody. But was everything everywhere all at once profound? So it's an onslaught at first, right? And I left the theater and uh, Kelly wasn't a huge fan. She, she chalked it up to after we saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Maybe I just don't like multiverse movies. And Marvel had been prepping us for a long time for this multiverse thing. And I regarded it as something of a cheat. Like, well, if you can have everything happen in every multiverse, then nothing really matters to Jobu Tupaki's 
point, right? You can just fix everything. It's like having an X-Man. If you need a situation, then you invent an X-Man to solve that situation by granting some rando some new power. And if everybody has all the powers cumulatively, what does it matter? Where are the stakes? And I left the theater trying to process this onslaught, and I never stopped thinking about this movie for whatever reason. And it's not that I couldn't figure it out. It's not about thematically being profound or relevant. It was an all-encompassing movie experience that made me excited to want to talk about it. Like immersive? And also because of, of your love for Ratatouille. <laughs> Raccoonatui? What was it called? Rakakuni. Rakakuni. <laughs> and I love how uh, confident she is in her delivery. No, it's Rakakuni. Go with the raccoon and he makes it and he cooks bad and then he gets the raccoon and he cooks good. Was it Chad? Was Chad the chef? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, Chad. Yeah, Chad is Harry Shum Jr., who I worked with on the LXD. And he's the one okay. who becomes her chef robot in the great stair kindness massacre thing. She's piloting him like a mech. He is a mech. <laughs> oh, man. Well, before we get into the different universes, because I would like to clarify them a little bit. You're saying that it was profound, but maybe you're not, you haven't entirely put your thumb on how. I, I guess it could be profound, but it all boils down to a simple message of love and acceptance and blah, 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 uh, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the universe you're in. But it was more the idea of the miracle of filmmaking, where you get a couple of kind of lower level writers and directors and, and stars that we recognize, um, some character actors, and then they make this miraculous cohesive movie i dare say on a blair witch project level with they they start with nothing and they create not just the universe of their film but infinite universes in a way that the multi-hundred million dollar doctor strange and the multiverse of madness failed to do in my opinion this is widely regarded for this year as the best multiverse movie and this is not a big movie this is a small movie that has such huge themes and is so wildly ambitious even when it fails it succeeds in a way so there's doctor of strange in the multiverse of madness and let's just yep. go be let's go beyond just this year you mentioned interstellar is the matrix a multiverse franchise Yes, it is. And Matrix plays a huge role, a huge influence on this movie. Um, that was farther back in terms of the prevalent themes of the Matrix. But absolutely, Neo was the one, but only that one and that particular Matrix. And there are countless other Matrixes, Matrices, Matrices. Yeah. Uh, was everything everywhere all at once funny? Um, at times, but it wasn't played for laughs. They say funny things, and like it's funny when Waymond is dancing with the guy in the laundromat and stuff. I mean, I guess there's comedy at the end of the spectrum of absurdity because it's pretty absurd. Like, did you laugh at the hot dog finger world? Man, I didn't laugh. It's like, what? Right? <laughs> I mean, so there's the balance is it's wacky for sure, but it's also serious. Is it absurd? Is it irreverent? Is it silly? Is it stupid? And I think this movie flirts with absurdity pretty much continuously. It gets very, it's a very fine line. It kisses stupidity on the mouth. But they commit so wholeheartedly and seriously. It's not like, I don't know. It's like real life comedy, man. <laughs> oh, and yeah. That's the dumbest thing ever to, to tell a way to talk about the hot dog finger universe. But they're so in love and it's so tender when she like caresses her face, Jamie Lee Curtis's face with her foot. 
<laughs> because for the fine work, you can't you, you use your feet instead to like play instruments and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they've built incredible sensitivity with their feet. It was, of course, it was silly, but it wasn't dumb. I'm going to argue that everything, everywhere, all at once is meticulously crafted. There's nothing left to chance. There's nothing like, let's put this in because it's random and it makes it seem more profound. There's an old adage for video games and for story that if you supply some random details, uh, the fans will fill in the gaps. And that's kind of a cheat. And I don't think that's the case with this movie. They weren't like, hey, let's make it really random. If they did, they carried it through from top to bottom. Like the hot dog fingers, that was a commitment. It's kind of funny that the her little awards were shaped like butt plugs. So if you introduce a butt plug in Act 1, does it have to be in, in, some, in, some, in someone's butt in, in Act 3? Is that like well, the rule of this storytelling? I, pretty much. And that's exactly what happened. Can you honestly take the butt plug fight scene seriously though i mean no but at that point so this is where my argument breaks down a little bit because obviously this movie was meant to be wacky and fun and entertaining there's no way to call that scene serious right but at the same time i cannot look at this movie and regard this as a farce i don't know man i got nothing (laughs) defending this movie is as difficult as describing this movie oh man well let's at least talk about the universes that are created and maybe their role in driving the narrative forward so we have we've discussed hot dog finger universe we've discussed raccoon raccoon (laughs) oh man this movie is full of things i can't pronounce what is it raccoon raccoon uh, you know, including Waymond. Like I thought that the I thought the subtitles were just racist. And then I, I, would... I, I just thought the same thing. There's actually a dude in the movie though named Waymond, like a crew member. Apparently, it's a relatively common name. Okay, so it's not Raymond being butchered by an Asian accent. It's way. It's his name is Waymond. Waymond. Waymond right. Wang. Waymond Wang. And uh, I cannot pronounce for the life of me Jamie Lee Curtis's character's name. Deirdre. 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 <laughs> yeah. Deidre. It's not Deidre, right? <laughs> right. Deirdre. Whew. Okay, so we have Hot Dog Finger Universe. We've got the raccoon one. <laughs> We've got the tax audit office. Yep. The laundromat exists in the same universe as the as the tax audit. You've got um, Jobu Tupaki's white, white room. Yeah, it's like the Bill and Ted's bagel shop. <laughs> right, which, by the way, do you enter into her white universe through hand gesture vagina i i guess so because that's what that was right i don't know man like the entrance to the upside down uh i mean I, yeah i think that that's the gate like you do the, the the play yard stupid hand joke thing where you where you supposedly create some kind of anatomy do you know what i'm talking about well yeah but isn't the vag kind of like the uh the gateway to the world for for most everyone no. not me i <laughs> What do you mean, not you? Oh, yeah. Not me either. Cesarean section, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not me either. Never got near mom's vag. Proud to say. Got it. Happier for it. All right. What what other universes am I missing? All of them. As evidenced in the Michelle Yeoh sequence, the, the flashes through hundreds of multiverses all at once. Doctor Strange only really had one brief scene where we glimpse multiverses where you're paint or where you're this or you're that. But we lived in a lot of these. It, it's so absurd and it's so everything that it's 
blends into the real world. We see her and, and we flit through all these images where it's like a frame at a time and people have slowed it down and you can see Michelle Yeoh. Like even when she's the movie star and we're flashing through her, we can see her in front of a, a step and repeat for Crazy Rich Asians, which cool. is actual Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. Um, there's another multiverse where she is rehearsing a scene in front of a green screen via Zoom with the director and and writer, you know, on the Zoom screen. So this is all just like real archival that they're incorporating in as another universe, another fictional Not all multiverse? of it. There's fictional stuff, too, because there's the rock universe. You forgot about the rocks. Um, <laughs> this feels like a movie like nobody's seen. I know we saw it. You saw it. The sneak saw it. But I don't know who else has seen this movie. Because it's not breaking box office records or what? We'll see. This might be the sleeper that comes to haunt the Oscars. What do you think it will win for? Uh, if it would win for anything, it would be editing. Maybe screenplay for, you know, just its audacity. But it's colored by worse, lesser than multiverse movies. I think that if the Marvel Cinematic Universe didn't exist, it might have been one of the most unique ever. However, The Matrix exists. This one, Back to the Future. All the Marvel movies exist. And so there's some basis. But in a way, it helps. Like, I don't think this movie could have been made without those other movies existing. And that's kind of what makes it a magnificent multiverse movie for me because we know Michelle Yeoh and we know we look at her and she's like kind of a traditional Chinese housewife, I guess, laundromat wife because they live in the laundromat or behind the laundromat. And, you know, she's very busy and she's got her husband that she's only mildly tolerates and stuff. But we know who Michelle Yeoh is, and we know who Kihi Kwan is. And I'm, it's so amazing to see that dude back on screen. And we know who James Hong is, who's been around for 70 years. He just got his uh, star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2022. Wow. And he's like 93 years old. Wow. And then you know who Jamie Lee Curtis. And I was like, is that Jamie Lee Curtis? <laughs> How long did it take you? It took me maybe five minutes. And I'm like, man, good for her letting her. Because you remember she was the one who like refused to get airbrushed for right. her like Vanity Fair thing or something. And she's like all natural body. And you're like, well, I mean, that's courageous or whatever. And she's like totally unflattering and old. And, and then she becomes the most terrifying villain imaginable. <laughs> like when she does her Jamie Lee Curtis scream, it's like hair raising. And when she first like gets out of her chair and just comes after them and she's chasing them and going, Aah! oh man, it's, even though we suppress it, we know who Jamie Lee Curtis is. We know who Michelle Yeoh is, James Hong, and Kihi Kwan. Well, you keep on saying we know, but do our listeners know? You have to. You don't belong here if you don't know, know who some of these people Come are. Come on. Would it trouble you that much to tell us? If we're going back to basics, if you haven't seen Michelle Yeoh in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, maybe you'll be surprised by the moves she busts out for this movie. You know, also seen in Jackie Chan movies where they start together in, in most recently in what? Gunpowder Milkshake. But Kihi Kwan is a movie legend from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, as well as from The Goonies, The Goonies Man. Available now on orwhateveremovies.com. And he disappeared for decades. He was behind the camera. He was like a PA slash stunt coordinating assistant and stuff. And then he shows up and he gives emotional monologues and he's super convincing. 
but he is so good to watch. Multiple nuanced performances. I completely bought him as like a debonair. I don't know. The businessman. The businessman. Yeah, executive. And completely transformed as like the bumbling house dad, the bumbling laundromat husband. He's so wonderful to watch. He's so unlikely and doofy. You're like, seriously, that dude? And he pulls off the fanny pack, and I was like, this is farce. This is going to be, oh, that's actually kind of cool. <laughs> you know, I've totally seen fan- you khakis and fanny packs with little cute plushies. It's like not even care. It's true. And you're like, that guy's a nerd. And then he totally throws down. So I thought that that role was intended to go to Jackie Chan because the, they mentioned that they wrote a role for Jackie Chan. And of course, it wasn't. It was Michelle Yeoh's character. It was meant to be the dude. And then Michelle Yeoh became an executive producer and she kind of changed it a little bit for her. But I thought that would have been great to see Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh as a married duo. But Jackie Chan, that might have been a given. You don't see Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh and be like, oh, this isn't going to turn into a kung fu movie. And so and in a weird way, when when Kihu Kwan steps in and you're like, seriously, he's going to fight? And then he does. Like He has real control and mastery. I don't know that it's on a Jackie Chan level, but he was totally convincing for me. Yeah. I mean, they all took it very seriously. And Gong Gong has a wonderful transformation. He's kind of a mech, too. Gong Gong goes mech. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and he's deceptively <laughs> deceptively old because you see him and he's like, Gong Gong, what are you doing downstairs or whatever, you know? And you're like, oh, that dude is really old. And I didn't know how much he had in him left. And it turns out it's a lot. <laughs> but even down to the and we and we have to talk about Stephanie Shu because Jobu Tapaki is the centerpiece villain. Yeah, she's also like a dreamscape Freddy Krueger level terrifying villain. And so fashionable. So risky fashionably. She seems kinda like, you know, a typical kid or whatever in the beginning and I like was angsty like, and, then she, and Yeah, and she's and she's like, Oh and like over it, you know? Yeah. And like lazy and stuff. And then she, when she drove with Tupakis, you're like, wow. <laughs> and, and she, she displayed a lot of range too. And I thought really convincingly, she's infinitely intelligent and calculating and scary and all those things where when she initially appeared on screen, I was like, she's going to like, come on, you could have had the bu- budget for a bigger, better bad guy. And I don't know, maybe not. No, I think she was really appropriate. Between her and Jamie Lee Curtis is really good. Even down to Jenny, you know, Jenny Slate, right? Yep. Debbie the Star dog of, mom. of On the Rocks and Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Jenny Slate is the one who said the F word on like her first day and got fired. Oh, bummer. Well, she was great. She was really great and reminded me of so many different people for so many different reasons. She was almost like an amalgamation of ethnic people. I don't know. There's there's no way for me to explain that. But do you know what I mean? Yes. I'll tell you how to explain it. She was referred to in the movie as Big Nose. I guess in the Chinese community, white people are sometimes referred to as Big Nose. But in the white community or in the English speaking world, when you call a Jewish person, as Jenny Slate is a big nose, then it's really offensive, like more offensive than calling a white person big nose. So apparently it was changed in the digital release, even though what I saw, they still refer to her as big nose. Oh, yeah. She's now been changed in some format somewhere to dog mom. That's how she's credited on IMDb, Debbie the dog mom. In the digital download, the rental that I watched, she was Big Nose. I mean, (laughs) when she's leaving, Evelyn wants to go track her down and she's like, oh, Big Nose. And she runs after her and invites her to the Chinese New Year party, Yep, which I thought was very offensive. But also, Evelyn is not PC. She's kind of a typical Chinese, unfeeling, not, you know... 
Disab- no. There's a traditionalist aspect that she, un- no matter how much you try to not be like your parents, like Joey doesn't want to be like Evelyn, Evelyn doesn't be- want to be like Gong Gong, who's like all closed-minded and stuff, but even still, she's like, because your di- your brother gets divorced, suddenly you think divorce is okay? It's like she's a little <laughs> bit behind the times, right? Yes. But you know who's not behind the times? Michelle Yeoh. And this movie, she is on top of it. And she transforms, and, and when her third eye is opened, when her eyes are open, man, she fully embodies everyone from the backwards sort of Chinese mom to traditionalist Chinese mom to the movie star to the, you know, kung fu heroine. Oh, that's a great observation. Yeah. So in the end, does she decide that she wants to, does she choose a universe? No, I think she just is in her universe. She's already experienced everything else, and so has uh, Joy slash Jobu Tapaki, and and they know what it's like to have buff pinkies, and they know what it's like to have sausage <laughs> fingers and stuff. So they're content to be in the universe where she could choose to be the movie star and the celebrity and, and whoever else she wants to be, but she would rather remain with Waymond and Joy in her current universe. And so does she, Do they? are they able to turn off being everywhere all at once? Well, it was orchestrated and turned on in sort of a Ready Player One alphaverse through Waymond. And I think once that influence is gone, then maybe they can, but they were pulled into it unwi- unwillingly. And so uh, they kind of had to use the triggers, like the chapstick and the I love you and all that stuff to jump. And sniffing the fly? Yeah, they can choose. Sniffing the fly was definitely the worst. No, absolutely not. Yeah. No, because there are things, like I'm a fan of Jackass, and I can take all oh, of that stuff. And the stuff that mom turns away from. I know what you're talking about. Or the, you, know, and you, you know exactly. And the sneak can't look at the screen. There's a full 30 seconds <laughs> where I'm so... incapable of watching this Me movie. Me too. It oh, was it's the worst. Horrible. The worst Cringing one. and writhing on the couch. Tell me when it's over so I can look again. And it's hard because Jamie Lee Curtis is coming for both of them. And you want to look and you want to be in there with the suspense. And I just couldn't do it. When what happens exactly, Wesley? When the, oh, God. When he does the paper cuts. Because oh, Jackass does it between the toes. Oh. I can't. I just, I can't. And it's not even a visual. <laughs> That's, it's not even a disturbing visual. Paper cuts don't even bleed. It's just, the concept is so horrible. Horrible. And I feel like there are some moments of comedy that are so profoundly true. And one of the Lego movies they're complaining they're like in the middle of an action scene and they're complaining about something and one of the characters is like i don't understand why people have to ruin perfectly good baked goods by putting raisins in them (laughs) and i was like preach it brother and in this movie i felt like the filmmakers just knew how absurdly horrifying and revolting paper cuts are and they chose to emphasize it by giving him a dull piece of paper and then he says you only get them when you don't want them. <laughs> and I can't think of an instance where I would want them, but it's so true that you always get them when you don't want them and when you least expect it. Oh, man. It was the, one of the most horrifying scenes in film history. <laughs> and he just keeps trying over and over and over again. I hope our listeners will let us know what they think. At 818-835-0473. What's your rating, Wes? 
I've waffled about this for kind of a while because there's a lot of parts of this movie that I think are silly and stupid and visually kind of a cheat, but I think it's necessary to keep us in. I mean, you and I are pretty diligent pay attentioners and to get lost in this movie is more frustrating than anything because you, you want to understand. I do believe that this is an absolutely meticulously crafted film where nothing is left to chance. I think that it's one of those wonderful movies that shows you what capable storytelling and dedication and focus from actors, producers, writers, directors alike can make a movie that transcends its budget and its and its themes. This is one of those movies, I think, that it's going to surprise people. If you give it a chance, you won't regret it, and it'll likely find its way to the Oscars. I'm going to give this one, for the art of movie making and all-around audacity, a totally rating. Wow. I almost forgot about the butt plug fight scene enough, <laughs> so that I was like, when I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, this is one of the where it steers a little bit too close to dumb, but it's just not enough to wreck this movie for me. Wow. Butt plugs aside, or butt plugs included, a totally rating, a much coveted totally rating for everything, everywhere, all at once. I think it's interesting. I mean, I definitely give this movie a good. I don't, um... (laughs) (laughs) You have to land on one side of the fence. There's so many sides of so many fences in this movie. I'm just going to pick one. Uh, definitely audacious, definitely absurd. All credit to Michelle Yeoh for carrying a very complex movie and playing multiple roles. I mean, she just... All of them did. It's like six movies in one. It really is. And um, I think that this movie is a, is as much zeitgeist as it is meticulous crafting and filmmaking. And um, they really... Well put. And if this was indeed a small budget, they certainly stretched it out. This movie feels expansive. It feels huge. It's very immersive. It feels as expansive as an infinite universe. So, yeah, all all credit to the Daniels, to Michelle Yeoh, to, to the, the entire cast who could have been silly in this movie, but kind of took it seriously enough to make it feel like it had uh, real gravity. A little overwhelming. And for that reason, I don't know <laughs> if I would recommend it to everybody. But some people, some places, some of the time. <laughs> Everything, everywhere, all at once for some people, some places, some of the time. And you heard it here at Or Whatever Movies. We hope you enjoyed this discussion on this movie at this time and all of our 200 plus others at orwhatevermovies.com. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast. Please follow us on social media and please support us on Patreon. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Didn't even scratch the surface, man. I know, right? Agreed. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. 
Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Electric acid. 